I'll be reading from uh, Psalms 23, verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me to quiet water, beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I shall not fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Morning, church. Open your Bibles to John chapter 10, please. All right. What do you say we kick things off with a little video game? Or actually at least a little visual game. You and I may not share much in common, but I guarantee you, if you like to find something that doesn't fit type of games, you're going to love this. Here we go. Now, that one's a pretty easy one. As a matter of fact, research has shown that most Aggies can figure out which one. That one is not like the other. This one's a little bit more difficult. Can you spot the one that's not like the other? Well, only the smartest Aggies actually can do that. As a matter of fact, that's a picture of the graduating class this year for A&M. Now, this next one is it's impossible. Research has shown it's absolutely impossible for Aggies. But you look and see if you can find the one that's not like any other. You see him? What is he? Oh, he's a dog. You guys didn't go to A&M. Good job. All right. You can take that one off, guys. We've seen in our study of the Gospel of John that John's not like any other. Not this particular eyewitness account of Jesus' life. The other three are pretty similar. As a matter of fact, scholars lump them together as the synoptic gospels, as they're called, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And they pretty much tell the same stories. They pretty much cover the same time frame. But John is like the old Sesame Street song. One of these is not like the other. The Gospel of John contains different images, different stories, and is actually even set in a different time frame. But in what is known as the odd gospel, I'd like to share this morning, the oddest statement in, I think, the oddest gospel. It's found actually in John chapter 19. I know you're there in John 10, but if you can put your marker there or flip over to John 19, you're welcome to do that. When I say odd, I, I don't mean just different. I mean astonishing. I mean shocking. Here it is, hours before Jesus is crucified, and Pilate says to the people, Here's your king. And the people shouted, take him away. Take him away. No, crucify him is what they shouted. And Pilate asks, shall I crucify? And he says the word again, your king? Now note the response of the religious leaders. I've got it highlighted for you there. The chief priest responded, we have no king except Caesar. I don't know if you've ever said to someone, how could you say that? But this would be a good place to say it. How, how in the world could you say that? These are the guys who have been entrusted with the passing on of the story of God. And they look at the governor and say, we the people of God have only one king and his name is Caesar. That one hits close to home for me. 
How humbling for anybody who serves in a role of a spiritual leader or spiritual guide for anyone to get that far off track. What a tragedy that any leader could get to a place so far removed from the things of God that we would say, we have only one king, and his name is Caesar. See, these are the men who led the sacrifices at the temple. These are the men who took the task of preaching the Old Testament to their people. They would have taught classes on the book of Samuel where God warns, you really don't want a king like the other people have kings because then you'll forget that I am your king. These are the leaders who were the Raymonds of their day, who led people in, in, in songs of God, not just sang them themselves, but, but led the, the congregation, their synagogues, their temple worships in song, songs like song number 10. The Lord is king forever and ever. They love to sing that one. Or song number 24. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory. Song number 47. The Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great king over all the earth. These leaders would have sung those songs. These leaders would have led those songs, not to just hundreds, but four hundreds of generations. And then at a critical moment, when the Lord of life in the flesh is standing on public display, they announce we have but one king. And his name is Caesar. Caesar, known for his fifty shades of gray immorality, Caesar, known for his Al Capone-like abuses of power politically. Really, Caesar? Now, the common people of Israel were probably less inclined to have said they, they, they loved Caesar as king, but they, they wanted a king that ruled like Caesar ruled as king. The common people were waiting on a powerful king, on a military king, with, with a little more Jewish blood in him than Caesar had, and a little bit more godly character than Caesar had. They wanted a Messiah. They wanted a shepherd. We've been seeing those words come up in the prophecies of the Old Testament as we've been moving through even the book of John. In fact, the nation of Israel had something similar to our 4th of July celebration every year that, that just kind of whet their appetite for this king they knew was coming. In John chapter 10, it's called the Feast of Dedication. We know it as the Feast of Hanukkah. Now, for many of us, when we think of Hanukkah, like maybe I did growing up, <laughs> We just thought, that's the Jewish version of Christmas, right? That's what I thought. I thought, well, since they, they didn't have a baby in a manger to get presents from, they had to come up with something, and so they came up with Hanukkah. No. When an Orthodox Jew thinks of Hanukkah, they think of Matthias, the hammer. The Jewish priest who became a hero in the eyes of the Jewish nation. See, history says after Alexander the Great died, the southern kingdom of Egypt, the southern part of Israel, and the northern king of Syria, the northern part of Israel, played ping pong with Israel back and forth. Egypt would be their lord and king for a while, then Syria, then Egypt, then Syria, then Egypt. Then at a time when Syrian rule was the rule of the day, a madman by the name of Antiochus IV went into the temple... And in the name of Zeus, erected an altar and sacrificed a pig in that temple. 
And that's when Matthias goes all Popeye and says, I can't stand this no more. And he and his sons well up. One of those sons, Judas, who's also nicknamed Maccabee, the hammer, they absolutely run those people right out of the temple and say, enough. And a revolt ignites and it doesn't finish till a couple of years later when their brother Simon actually sees to it that Syria's run out of Israel. And from about 142 B.C. to 62 B.C., finally, the Jews were their own bosses again. Finally, they made their own rules, they made their own decisions, and they enjoyed about 80 years of freedom. That's what Hanukkah is all about, in case you didn't know. And then the Romans came and they reigned on their parade in 63 B.C. And so when we come to John chapter 10, it's Hanukkah. But they're not celebrating like we would celebrate July the 4th. We celebrate it knowing we have our freedom. Yay! We have our freedom. Shoot the fireworks. Put on the ribs. We have our freedom. They celebrated Hanukkah with the same spirit, but remembering their freedom. Hoping that one day they'd get it again. Hoping that they would have freedom again. They could call their own. That's the background what's happening in John chapter 10 when in verse 22 the Jewish people have come together in the temple area and they're praying for God to send them a deliverer king. Please. Make no mistake about it. They want someone who is powerful. They want someone who is militarily strong. Someone who would not back down to anybody. They were worn out with being ruled over by people who are wearing them out. Now, given these expectations that are behind this chapter in the Gospel of John, is it any wonder that they didn't see Jesus filling that bill? Which makes for the great irony that at the end of the Gospel of John, Pilate fastens a sign in three languages, not one, three languages, Aramaic, Greek, and Latin, all proclaiming Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Now, I don't know exactly how Pilate meant that, but it turns out he's the only one who nailed it. King? As Ty was showing us, well, King, no way, shouts and screams as they watch this this woman with that sign over his head, that king of the... And that's not our king. No way. Well, it didn't start there. It didn't. That was the culmination of their disappointment that this is our king? Really? See, the one that was hanging up there was the one who didn't just teach the Sermon on the Mount. He walked it. He lived it. He was poor in spirit. He mourned the sins of the world. He was meek and lowly in heart. He hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He was merciful. He was pure in heart. He was the maker of peace. He was persecuted for righteousness. He not only didn't murder, he didn't keep bitterness in his heart. He not only didn't commit adultery, he did not think of women as something to satisfy his lust with. He didn't seek vengeance on his enemies. He gave his life for them instead. 
Now, many of you recognize those are the words from the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus was well known for having preached. But he didn't just deliver it with words. His whole life demonstrated it. In John 10, when he speaks to the people, listen to me again, at Hanukkah. When he speaks to the people at Hanukkah, who are praying for a new ruler, who are praying for a new Messiah, who are praying for the great shepherd king, they are taken by surprise when Jesus says, I'm the great shepherd. I, I'm him. Who lays down his life for a sheep. Here's how he told them. Look at the text. He starts with an image that all of them could easily identify with, an image that surrounded their lives. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens a gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice because he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Now when he is brought out all on his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used his figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what in the world he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. The thief, listen to me, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy you. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning uh, knowing our role in this text, knowing our place in this text, we think and that's, that's sheep. And we come in a very special way as people for the most part who have said, we choose you as our great shepherd. We choose you as our Messiah. We choose you as our King. But we're quick to say that. And we're not so quick to live that. And so we just come humbly confessing that. And Father, I know along with us, I know Christ Church. John Standards is preaching probably right now as I'm preaching. And I'm asking that you, you help that, those other sheep in this other fold, Father, that you are putting together that is a worldwide fold. Would you please help us make Help us be one. We don't do that. We don't. And so we're just confessing that and asking you to help us. And help us to be the sheep that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, and everyone said. This picture of the deliverer this picture of the, of the great ruler of God that's to come 
It just doesn't fit with the Caesar-type image that the leaders have. It doesn't fit with the uh, a little bit better character, a little bit more Jewish blood Caesar-type leader that the people have. Jesus in John 10 says, Sorry, happy Hanukkah. No, he doesn't say sorry. He says, The shepherd's here. The gate to life is here. The one who will restore your freedom is here. And that freedom will come because I lay down my life. He says it four times in, the, in this one chapter. He ties to this great ruler, this great king, this great Messiah coming. Somebody who will, who will so love the sheep that he serves that he would lay down his life for them. Well, that's, that's not like a ruler that I know. Or a king that I know. Or a president. Or a senator. Or many congressmen that I know. Or many dads, or many preachers that I know. That's a savior life. No love. Which leads the people to say, <laughs> Are you trying to tell us you're the Messiah? Literally, they do that in verse 24. How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, will you just tell us plainly? And he's trying to tell them. But it's almost as if he's, he's broadcasting an FM and they've only got their AM antennas up and they're going, I don't know where you're going with this. Maybe like some of you are looking right now at me. I'm broadcasting an FM and you're an AM. Where's he going with this? Hanukkah, Messiah, shepherd stuff. Well, for those who've never studied this text, I, I want to get a little pictorial again. Let me show you this pin that's on the screen. All over Israel, even today, you'll still see some of these pins. And I know some of our folks are going to be traveling over there, and they'll, they'll no doubt see a few of these around Jerusalem. Interesting how they're designed. It's for shepherds that are moving their flocks from one place to the other to be able to, to place them, especially overnight, sometimes just during the day, but, but mostly overnight. And they would lead them in. You see there's no gate there. It's because the shepherd was the gate. Not a piece of wood, not a piece of iron, but the shepherd was the king. And so he would lay himself down, as in the picture here, and he would be the one who would stand between the sheep and, and predators and the sheep and robbers and thieves. Um, you could not be a pansy and be a shepherd, all right? And that little thing that's laying across his lap there, that little crook stick that we always associate with shepherd gear, that's not just something that goes with their wardrobe, all right? That's a tool for fighting. Yes, it could help save a life of a sheep, maybe drag one out of a river that had gotten swept away while they were drinking in, in too, too much of a moving water. But it was also a tool that you didn't want to get in the way of if a shepherd had to use it on you. Jesus is saying, I am the great shepherd who protects the sheep, who takes them out to the pastures, who leads them beside still waters. And I know them all by name. I love this. This isn't about profit and loss for this guy. He cares. This is family. This is relationship. These sheep have names. I didn't know sheep had names. <laughs> Fluffy, Buffy, Scruffy, Tuffy, I don't know. But they had names. And this shepherd knew the difference because he knows them. And it's through this knowing that Jesus is trying to say to this group of people gathered for their new ruler, their, the new deliverer, this new king, please send him God. Well, he's here. And he cares. And he knows you all by name. And I've come to give you life. Right there in the middle of this. 
The thieves only come to steal and kill and destroy. The thieves only come because of what they can get from you. I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. That's why he came. Now, I know this. You may not have been with me much in the sermon so far, but this, I get that now. What are you going to say about that? I want some of that. I mean, I've only got one here. I've only got one life, Jim. And if we're going to go, let's go big, right, all right? So I'm hearing I can have life to the full. Yes, you can have it in him, the shepherd, the one who will lay his life down. And what Jesus is going to show us is the life we always wanted. And the rest of this gospel is not necessarily attached to the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Sorry. It's the abundant life of relationship with the great shepherd, being loved by the great shepherd, being known by the great shepherd, walking through life with the great shepherd, and it's all announced here in John chapter 10 through the reminder of the gospel that it's not about what we get to have. It's about who we know and who we're known by. The abundant life isn't endless vacations and swelling retirement accounts and millions of likes on Facebook or winning Oscars or Super Bowls or gold medals or having the power to carry around nuclear codes. All of that stuff is way cool. All of it. Endless vacations, just took one a couple of months ago, weeks ago. Swelling retirement account, got one that's growing. Millions of likes, I don't have a Facebook page. Winning Oscars, nah, I don't want one of those. Super Bowls, yeah, I'd like to have my name on one of those trophies. Having the power to carry around nuclear codes, nah, I'll pass on that. But I want life. And Jesus says this, if you admit, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. To the full. Not necessarily life like the Miller Lite commercials, you know. It doesn't get any better than this, boys. Now, some moments like that, yes. With or without the beard, that's optional. But I've had those moments where I, I, it can't get any better than this here. And not necessarily like the biking commercial, you know, where you come on the cruise and, and there's no tipping, there's no worries, there's no cares. You just love it. And some of you are thinking, I want some of that. No, not, not necessarily that kind of life all the time. Maybe portions of it, yes. Jesus offers the fullness of life, though, that comes from belonging. Listen to me. From belonging. From mattering. From being known. That no diagnosis can take away. That no aging process can take away. That no terrorist or thief or a bad week in the market can take away. That's the life he offers. He's our life. He's our home. A relationship so intimate that he knows my name. And I know, listen to me, his voice. His voice. I'm with him in my life. The rest of it seems to make sense. Now, that's a little self-description of the life I'm choosing. Because I'm believing he's right. I'm believing he's right. I, I really do think he has the key. It's why I'm up here. We're doing a hundred other things, but I'm telling you, on a day when my mouth feels like the desert of Sahara, I'm up here trying to say he really is the one who has life. It's why it's part of our mission statement. Yes, we want to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus, and we believe the Bible has taught us by loving God and loving our neighbors, but also, and here's where this comes in, right in the middle of John 10, Jesus says, so that they can have life and live it to the full. And we believe as a leadership team that if you will live this life with us, it will be attractive. It will be like a magnet to people. Not everybody. 
they will sit up and take notice. I'm not getting some of that, but I'd like to. Maybe it's because of look who's coming to dinner this week. I don't know. But my thoughts of life being lived to the full are marked by a guy, and I just can't get him out of my mind, Joe Smirsnick. You're looking at him, you're going, how could you not get that out of your mind? Some of you are old enough to remember the story of Joe. He became a national symbol of loneliness and emptiness in 1977. He was a farmer in northern Minnesota. He was a carpenter. He's an antique dealer. For a modeler of old homes, he and his wife had divorced. He'd become estranged from his kids. He'd been alone for 20 years until one holiday at Christmas, Joe bought a classified ad in the local newspaper. The Headlight Herald newspaper in Tracy, Minnesota, to be specific. And here's what the ad said. Wanted one family to eat Christmas dinner with. I'll bring the turkey. That got picked up by the AP Newswire, and articles were written about it all over the country. And it grabbed America's hearts that someone, that Joe Schmarznick's maybe all over the country, were alone. And they would even bring the turkey if you would invite them to dinner. Well, enter Homer Dobson. Here's his picture. And his wife, Betty Dobson. For decades, they were the ministers of the tiny little Church of Christ in Tracy, Minnesota. He and Betty answered that ad. And it's amazing to me, and all the Googling that I did about this story, that no one mentions them answering the ad. All they talked about was Joe's lonely place in life. Didn't tell of the couple who rose to the occasion to answer it. And I understand because the angle of Joe's loneliness was what most writers were interested in. It grabs people's hearts. But what grabbed my heart was a Homer and a Betty who answers that letter. And they call him and they say, we'd love to have you come join us. And that holiday and 25 other holidays afterwards, Homer and Betty invited Joe into their home. And the last time... Joe, at the end of his life, was driven to Springfield, Minnesota Hospital. Guess who drove it? I think that's the life every one of us wants deep down. To know I matter. To know that I count. To know that I'm welcomed. To know that I could, I could have someone invite me into their home. I'm learning at 56 with all this gray hair. It's not about Rolex watches on your wrist. Well, the Maser Maserati in your... I don't even know how to say the word right. Is it Maserati? Maserati. There we go. I'd rather have an Audi anyway. Or the trophy wife on your arm. Or having seen the world in the rearview mirror. It's about finding home. It's about being home. And in John chapter 10, Jesus is saying, that's what I've come to offer you. A place to call home. And it's in me. It's in me. You don't even have to bring the turkey. The main course has been provided. All I want you to know is you're welcome and that you matter. I'd leave a whole flock of sheep just for you because you count. You've got a place with me. 
And I'm going to invite you into my home, not just here in this world, but into a home that you can't, you can't wait to see that I'm preparing for you. So will you accept my offer to be your king? We accept my offer to be your Messiah, your shepherd. Because I promise you, if you will, here's what's going to take place. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to place you right here in the fortification of my hand. And that hand is going to be wrapped around by the Father. And you know what will happen when that? Nobody, no thing could ever snatch you out of that place. Ever. Here's what the scripture says. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And nobody is snatching them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. And nobody can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and the Father are one. My favorite verses in all the scripture. Because I love the protection. And I love the closeness. And I love the... The choice, and I love the all the good stuff of life is right there in that passage. Really, I belong like to you forever. Amen. Friend, he makes no secret about it. <laughs> and he's just longing for you to give him a time of day enough to be able to hear this is how much I love. That I would lay down my life for him. Jimmy, how do you know? Because I know some of you are, are suspicious. Some of you are cynical. Some of you are, ah, listen, I've had too many, too many people who've promised, and I've had too many people who were in authority, and too many people who said they would, and they just didn't. I get that. How many of them have died for you? This one did. And when he did, he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he's back out of the grave. Announcing to the world, I told you, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Get you some. No, uh, I'm not fixing my eyes on the elite in this world who, who we think have it all. I've been watching them close. Man, they're all over. I can't, I can't turn on my computer without them and what's going on with their plastic surgeries and what's going on with their marriages and what's going on with their cars. I can't, I can't get any news without hearing about what the latest thing happened with Britney Spears. I don't care about Britney Spears. But they're the elite and we all think and dream, at least when we're younger, if we could just get what they have. And I've been watching them. And their version of life is filled with divorce and suicide and bankruptcy and bad plastic surgery. Bad stuff. And it's going nowhere and helping very few people. So I'm fixing my eyes on this one who came on a Hanukkah day and said, I, I'm the shepherd that Ezekiel prophesied. And I've come to welcome you into the fold. Come, you'll be at home. No one's getting to you. Because I'll have to go through me. Wow. Now that's an offer. Like no other. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning and we're trying to wrap our brain around that. We live in a world that is constantly trying to sell us life or offer us life. Or 
someone over here, someone over there, someone around that corner is saying they, they've got the answer, they've got the key. So we're trying to hear you this morning say it's, it's at a cross. That's the key. The leader who would lay his life down for the sheep that he loves. And so we're praying this morning you open our eyes and our hearts to that. We pray that you open our eyes to the hope that that life brings when you bring them out of the tomb. That we, that we will invest our attention. We will invest our, our money. We will invest our priorities in you. We'll let you take us wherever you need to take us in this world. Because we're trusting that you truly do have Jesus' name we pray. Everyone stay. If you'd like to get you some of that for the first time and become a follower of Christ, I'm going to be standing up here. If you're a brother or sister and you know you've been looking at some other places for life and finding it's just not there and would like to have somebody help you recommit to making him the way, the truth, and the life in your life, come find one of us. We want to pray with you. Let's see.